3: ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. DTW approved. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions
2: 18. Plus. Imagine the perfect video store. It would have a great selection, right? Right. Over 10,000 videos. Three evening rentals, so no rush, no hassle. Fast checkout. 24 hour quick drop return. Open late every night. Well, the perfect video store. Welcome to Blockbuster Video. Is popping up all over the country. There's one near you.
0: This is Notable Nostalgia, a podcast
1: with three friends that spent their formative years in the 90s. Join us as we discuss all things from scandals to our favorite movies, TV, and music. Nothing will be off the table for topics. We will bring you fun trivia, debates, informative episodes, top five lists, and much, much more.
3: Our goal is to bring you a fun, broad-ranging, retrospective 90s podcast, but present perspectives of marginalized people like us. Let's get nostalgic together. What's up, Nostalgia Nerds? Thanks for tuning in to Notable Nostalgia, the 90s retrospective podcast. My name is Ali. And I am Andy. And I'm Jeff. And today we have a very special guest on. His name is Taylor Morden, and he is the director of the newly released documentary called The Last Blockbuster. It chronicles the last living and breathing Blockbuster video in the entire world, located in Bend, Oregon. And it uh, also highlights the rise and fall of Blockbuster as a company, uh, talks about the story of the person who runs that Blockbuster video, as well as some really good nostalgia moments. Taylor also directed a documentary that's inspired from the 90s called Pick It Up, Ska in the 90s, and highlight the background roots of Ska, a lot of the bands and uh, who were big in that time, and also the ska boom itself. So also on this uh, interview is my wife, Maria, and friend of the pod, who's kind of always in the backgrounds helping us with fact-checking and, and her anecdotes, uh, but her and I got the chance to have this discussion with Taylor. So without further ado, we're just gonna go right into the interview. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We're a 90s nostalgia podcast, so we we're pretty excited to see a new documentary about something we all experienced as kids in the last blockbuster. Uh, so first question, what were your experiences with Blockbuster growing up and what inspired the creation of this documentary?
4: Uh, yeah, that's a great question. It's it's two really different questions because when I was a kid, we didn't really have Blockbuster where I lived. I, I spent a lot of my time in a small town in Oregon, not far from here where the last Blockbuster is. Okay. But um, uh, to rent movies there, it was um, – there's such a small town that the only place that had movies was the local gas station. So I would, like, um, gather up bottles and cans to return. We had a five-cent can deposit. And, um, you know, maybe once a week there would be enough from scrounging. And I could walk. It was, you know, like a third of a mile. Walk down to this place, turn in the cans, get the $1.99 or whatever it was, rent a VHS tape, and then walk all the way back home. And, um, and those were some of my favorite times as a as a kid in the 80s and 90s like you know renting a movie was a big deal for me and it was something that i i really loved because i loved movies and that was the only way we could get them back then you know unless it was on the the sunday night abc disney movie or whatever whatever (laughs) Um, and then later when i was uh, out of high school and in college i did live in a town with blockbuster and I was I was kind of addicted to it I would go all the time they would have um, like monthly subscriptions you could get where you could rent unlimited movies you know you bring one back and you can get another one out um, and whenever I could afford it I would do those and I would really get my money's worth right if I had a one movie a day subscription I was renting 30 movies a month <laughs> there you go. like that was it was not <laughs> not letting it go uh, without getting my money's worth at the time. Um, And then later, Blockbuster had the DVDs by mail to compete with Netflix. I had that because you could take those mail DVDs into the store and exchange them for another movie. So you could even game the system more. (laughs) So I was a big fan of movies, big fan of Blockbuster, and also the mom and pop video stores because they would have different content, right? The local store would have, the cool indie movies, the the trauma movies, or the weird, you know, um, you, just underground movies and things that Blockbuster didn't have. And then they would never have the new releases. But Blockbuster would always have the new releases. They would have hundreds of copies. And so sometimes you, you would go to both, right? on, like, a Friday, you'd go get, like, Orgasmo from the indie store, <laughs> and then you'd go get... And then you go get The Matrix from Blockbuster because there was no way the indie store was going to have their one copy of The Matrix. So I would do both. But um, to the second part of your question, how this started, I um, had been living on the East Coast in Washington, D.C. for a while and getting into filmmaking and all that. Then I moved back to Oregon, my wife and I, to be kind of closer to family and just get away from the pressure of D.C. D.C.'s a big city, lots of traffic, lots of stress. And we moved back to Bend, Oregon, which is pretty small. It's under a hundred thousand people. It's got you know it's got a Target and a Walmart, but it doesn't have an airport or you know the, the things that make a city a city. Um, and we lived here. This was about five years ago now. Lived here for a while, and I would drive around and I would see this sign, the the Blockbuster sign, you know, the big blue ticket, and the, the brain part of me, the knowledgeable, like practical part, I just thought, well, they've gone out of business and somebody just left the sign up because it's too expensive <laughs> to take the sign down. Um, I was convinced that that was the case. And so I didn't think anything of it. I just kept driving by it, back and forth for you know, the better part of a year. And then for whatever reason, one day, it just dawned on me yeah, out of curiosity. I have to stop and see what's up with this Blockbuster sign? Like, maybe maybe they haven't rented out the space and I can take a look at the empty racks and feel that nostalgia that I wanted to feel Um, or just check out the Dropbox or whatever it is. And then uh, I stopped and I went, I parked and you can instantly tell that it was a functional Blockbuster at that time. And so I went in and not only was it, you know, exactly the way I remembered Blockbuster video, but it was like, it was like nothing had changed. It was walking through a time warp back to the late 90s. And it was like nobody told them Blockbuster went out of business and they just kept right on going. And the filmmaker in me was super curious, like, how are they doing this? What? Who is renting movies? You know, this was 2016, 2017. And I was so curious. I just asked them, would it be OK if I started bringing some cameras around and ask you guys some questions? and no one had ever asked them that before because they weren't the last blockbuster. They were just a blockbuster of the last, you know, 20 or so remaining. And so they agreed and just started filming there almost four years ago now. And and that's about how long it took to get the movie out.
3: Wow. Um, that's really cool that you have a, a bit of an Oregon connection because we're an Oregon-based podcast. And we're we're all folks that okay. grew up in Oregon. So that's, that's pretty sweet to see.
4: Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so then... The town I was talking about that I grew up spending my time with was uh, Vita, which is on the Mackenzie River. Yeah. We, just, we lost most of it in the fire this last year. Yeah. But I grew up out there, and I'd, I'd walk to the Vita market to rent my rent my VHS tapes. And then Eugene is where I went to college and went to Blockbuster all the time. Okay.
3: Right on. That's so cool. Cool. Um, so it was cool to see the wide range of celebrity guests uh, that you had participate in the film. Was there anyone uh, who was eager to participate in this documentary um, and anyone that you were eager to have on?
4: Um, yeah, a lot of people, we, we did do some research and we tried to find people who had worked at video stores to kind of have that experience and that connection. And we figured they'd have good stories. And, you know, some people like Paul Shear. he does the yeah. how to just get made podcast about movies. And so, I reached out from that. I didn't know he worked at Blockbuster. I just thought, like, he loves talking about movies and, like, straight-to-DVD movies and stuff like that. So we reached out straight to the podcast and said, hey, do any of you guys want to be on? You know, because I'm a big podcast listener. And uh, they wrote like, right away and said, Paul will do it. Paul wants to be in there. And then we found out that he had this connection to Blockbuster and had these great stories to tell. And, and so that was that was kind of the first celebrity that was eager or at least um, happy to participate. Uh, but for the most part, everybody who's in the movie was very excited to do it um, because we were talking about blockbuster video. You yeah. know, we, we also knew early on um, that no matter who we got, because we had people working with us for a while. that were like, oh, let's get, we'll get Spielberg to be in it. And Tom Hanks and all these people. And that would have been great, I think, but we realized that because we're doing a blockbuster video story, even if it was you know Spielberg and Tom Hanks, they're not going to make the poster. They're not going to be what hooks people into the story. It's about this store and and blockbuster video. so it kind of didn't matter who we got. but that said, I'm really happy with all the comedians and actors and everybody we got in the movie because I'm fans of all of them. Yeah, I'm a fan of all of them. Uh, this, it's kind of in in my wheelhouse. Of I love comedy. I love like quirky indie things. I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan. That for me was the big get because um, it's part of why I'm making movies. Uh, because he used to make not just weird indie movies. You know, Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, all those, but. Um, the special features on those would be like that was my film school was watching and listening to the director's commentary and watching like how did they make rats with a studio and then it didn't make money and how was that process it was kind of my first um, exposure to that kind of information was from DVD special features. Of people like Kevin Smith and, you know, uh, Quentin Tarantino and, and stuff like that from the 90s. When DVD was out, like, like I said, I was renting 30 movies a month for a while, and I didn't just watch the movie. I would watch every making-of feature or you know director's commentary, every piece of content that was on that disc. I would consume, and still to this day, I'll rent movies at Blockbuster because I'm lucky that I can. Nice. And if it's a movie that I've I've seen, or um, you know, try to see things in the theaters, but we don't have that anymore. I'll rent it just to watch all the special features. I'll take it home and I'll just devour whatever's on that disc, and then uh, take it back to Blockbuster.
2: That's awesome. That kind of mentioning the the two types of stories kind of fits into this next question. Was you were you interested in focusing on? blockbuster as the corporation or were you more interested in focusing on Sandy and her store or was the idea just kind of an amalgamation of both
4: well so to me the movie was always going to be in three parts and I think we did a good job balancing that um but it was going to be the story of this store this last blockbuster and Sandy and how she's running it it was going to be the story of the rise and fall of Blockbuster. And then it was going to be these kind of nostalgic celebrity anecdotes. Um, you know, what, what renting movies meant to us as a society? That was this third part, this kind of ethereal, you know, if, if I'm saying something as a filmmaker, if we had a message, it would be, you know, what do we lose when we lose video stores or physical media or human interaction? Is what we're we're really losing and this was before the pandemic we didn't even realize that we would be putting this movie out in a time when not only could we not show it in theaters to anybody really but people can't really go to blockbuster people can't gather around movies anymore so that was always a big part um, conceptually for us was to think about you know what movie rentals meant to us as individuals and as a society. And then obviously the story of blockbuster video is fascinating because they grew crazy fast and then they died just as quickly. And we found out pretty early on that most people were wrong about assuming Netflix killed blockbuster or streaming killed blockbuster video. And so we knew that would be a hook, um, I worked with my partner on the movie, Z Cam, is a phenomenal writer. And so he was kind of mapping that stuff out from the very beginning of like, what are the parallels between the rise and fall of Blockbuster and the rise and fall of this one store? Because it was an independent store that kind of had their arm twisted into becoming a Blockbuster in the first place. And it was like a David and Goliath, but the store was David and Blockbuster was Goliath. And then, and then Blockbuster becomes David and like the Netflix streaming world crushes them and then they're gone. But this one little store from the beginning outlasted. I mean, it was kind of like a cool, like a Pixar movie or something, if you were to follow the yeah. video, video store that, that could, right? Um, so I like that it's this mix of three, but I feel like every time I talk to somebody who watched the movie, everybody latches onto one of those three aspects and it's like oh my god I loved all the Sandy stuff but why did you have all those celebrities in it I didn't care about that Or, <laughs> oh man I love listening to Kevin Smith talk about rental stores but I don't care about the history of Blockbuster video they're evil or there's like business people who are like the story of Blockbuster was so fascinating but why did you keep cutting back to this store that I don't care about so you know, we make movies for ourselves that we like and so the balance of all that was important from the beginning and I'm happy with the mix of the three and I kind of feel like then there's something for everybody in it.
2: Yeah. I thought it was really important that you highlighted every aspect because uh, the title of course is the last blockbuster. So you would assume that, (laughs) but it's going to be about that, but then also how it ties into our, the larger um, cultural opinion and how experience of how we, how we used to
4: be versus how we are now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's really what's at the heart of it, I think. And all three of those story threads have that same hook to them, right? It's all, you guys are doing a 90s nostalgia podcast, right? So you get it, it's, we're all missing things from that time before it got crazy. Like it's crazy now, everybody's super connected and we can watch whatever movie we want whenever we want and all that, but at what cost, right?
3: Yeah. Um, so the physicality of the blockbuster experience was touched upon in the doc. The smell of the store or the snap of the cassette case closing. Like for me growing up, you know, watching the documentary, it took me back to that feeling of that bumpy plastic on all the cases. Um, so you, you know, why, why was it important for you to highlight that aspect of maybe the nostalgia, uh, as you mentioned, the, sort of that third aspect of the story?
4: Yeah, uh, the physicality. That came about kind of organically as we were making the movie because when we first started going to Blockbuster to film, you know, you're catching everybody's reaction, and almost every person who walked in would comment on the smell or, you know, pick up a movie and flip it over. Everybody flips a movie over to the back to see what's on there. Um, And my partner on the film, Zeke, he brought his son, who I think was like eight or nine at the time. And is in the movie. He's one of the little kids at the beginning was looking at movies, um, which is great. But the, his son picked up a movie, looked at the back and said, Dad, Dad, the movie has stuff on the back. Like he had never <laughs> seen a physical object represent a movie. And that moment kind of stuck with us is like, oh, that's right. There's a whole generation coming up who doesn't associate movies with objects. Like they didn't have VHS, they didn't have DVDs, they didn't have Laserdiscs, they didn't have Betamax. They have Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and iTunes and whatever else, you know, but the movie never exists. You can't make a stack of movies. Right. They, just, they just are. Um, and so that was important. And then we do have the segment in the film where we handed a VHS copy of a movie to our interviewees Um, And that just sort of came about, we had made that as a prop to just film, to have an object that represented blockbuster video. And at some point, it just occurred to me the way that I felt holding that, you know, the wave of nostalgia, the click of the case and the bumpy plastic, just like you said, the way that made me feel, it had to connect with other people of at least a certain age of people who spent so much time with these objects that are just gone. Like some of these people we handed a VHS tape to, I'm sure they haven't seen a VHS tape in 20 years and certainly haven't watched one in even longer. And so there's that, because everybody had that familiarity, it's like I'm handing them their stuffed animal from when they were a baby, right, their blanket, right, right. That was the, their security blanket, because we all spent time you had to go and get it you had to hold it you had to take it home in your car and you had to get it and bring it in and if it wasn't rewound you had to rewind it and it was this whole process that's totally gone and even for people who lived it it's not something we do anymore it's not a thing you know until this movie i got a vcr during the making of this and i still have some of my old vhs but i've been loading up because they sell them a blockbuster now and so it'll be a movie you know like Ninja Turtles that I have on DVD and Blu-ray and whatever, but watching it on VHS feels different and feels better. It's like the way I watched it when I was a kid. So it has more of a a sense memory. And I think that's what's at the root of your question here is the sense memory. And it's hard to convey in a movie, right? We can't, (laughs) we can't convey the feeling of touching something or the smell of something. Best we can do is the sound and the visual. But I hope that people watch the movie and then they, they've they got a VHS in the closet or in the basement. They go and, you know, grab one and pick it up and shake it. You hear a little plastic rattle or, you know, open and close the case and smell the tape. But whatever you want to do, don't get too weird with it. But <laughs> oh, you know, that's yeah. It's important. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, for me, the best thing in the world is going into a record store and flipping over the back of the record and seeing like the track list and the uh, track notes and different things like that. So uh, do you think there will be kind of a resurgence like that? Do you think there's a possibility or do you think it's just kind of over and done with?
4: I think it's weird because and this question comes up a lot. And I, too, love a record store and I've been collecting vinyl now since it got cool again and is now outselling CDs I don't know, 5 to 1 or something but um, I love browsing a record store and I am very lucky that you can go and browse Blockbuster right now. You know, very few people have a local video store anymore and even you know places like Target, Best Buy, Walmart where they had DVDs the, the section keeps getting smaller and smaller Yeah, and now it's like an end cap that has just the new James Bond movie or Star Wars or Marvel or whatever the thing is that they know they can sell a thousand copies of. But that act of walking around and touching movies is dying and it's going away. And I think the problem, um, problem with the resurgence is that there is no universal format that really took off. Blu-ray got reasonably popular And then there's like 4K Blu-ray that nobody buys. And, you know, digital is the ubiquitous format. But like the people who want physical, the Blockbuster here rents mostly DVD. Very few Blu-rays. They don't have 4K anything. And they don't do VHS anymore. So it's mostly DVD, which, you know, DVDs came out in the 90s. It's not a new thing. It's not as old as vinyl, but it's not sexy and it's not a cool thing and it's not very good quality compared to every other format that movies come in right your netflix stream in hd or 4k your amazon is the same so why would you go get a a dvd that's like 480p and it's like dumb tech talk but it's it's a weird thing um and the the other thing about music is like it's not weird to buy an album and listen to it a thousand times. You know, you have your, your favorite records that you listen to. I have records I've owned on cassette and then CD and then vinyl, and then rebought the CD later because it was at a garage sale for a dollar or whatever it is um, that you'll just keep listening to over and over and over and over again. But for most people, movies aren't like that. Once you've seen it, you don't need to have it on the shelf. And so there's less, there are diehard collectors, and I'm one of them, but it's not as common. Way more people rent movies. And now with Spotify and stuff, you can rent music kind of, but it's different. People still want to own music and the vinyl popularity, I think most vinyl comes with a digital code. You can listen to it on all of your devices, however you want and on your turntable, which is awesome. So I don't know, maybe if they came out with a VHS format that had the digital copy and then, the thing but what i hope would happen and maybe it's some format that we haven't even invented yet that's that's coming but like something like just a place where movie lovers can go that's like the record store um and maybe maybe it is renting movies digitally but you go to a physical space to talk to people to do that you know or maybe it's all in virtual reality who knows but I, I don't think there's going to be a, a video store resurgence in the way that record stores have because of the difference in the way people consume those two different mediums, you know? Yeah. yeah. the thing with books, too. It's a, another great example. Bookstores are dying. You know, all the big chains are going away, and there's the, the little local stores that are hanging on, but books haven't changed format.
2: You <laughs> yeah. <know>? yes, yeah. <laughs> there,
4: there's Kindle, but a book from the 1600s is still just as good as a book printed today, as long as you don't break it. Whereas nobody wants to watch something on Betamax because they can't, or, you know, why would you watch something on VHS unless you're weird like me that you can also watch in 4k, you know, without even having to get up and put a thing in a machine. So yeah, maybe there's convenience.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe the future is just experiences and not some sort of physical copy of some kind. Um, so that physical experience has been somewhat altered since the pandemic. Um, have you been able to keep in touch with Sandy and how are they holding up? Are they going to survive this, uh, this new storm of problems?
4: Yeah, the store is, um, they're hanging on. They, they have switched to a more online, presence they are selling a lot of t-shirts and then now they're selling our movie on dvd on their website and they're doing this whole thing trying to keep the employees busy because um while they have been able to stay open off and on pretty much the whole time uh they do have to limit the number of people in the stores and it's one-way traffic and masks and plexiglass and all this uh, but also you know people don't feel as safe and when there was already the option to stream versus go rent, and there's whatever minuscule chance that you might catch a deadly virus by going to Blockbuster, less people are going, obviously. Uh, although they do do curbside pickup, which is pretty cool because you can call and have one of the employees browse for you. And say, like, hey, I want a comedy, like a you know a Reese Witherspoon movie from the 90s, and they'll go, and look what we have Sweet Home Alabama. Is that the one you want? Sure, great. and They'll walk it out to your car for you. Uh, but the online sales have been good and sort of keeping them going. And, you, you know, the, the other problem that they're facing that a lot of us didn't anticipate is that movies have stopped coming out. You know, movies got delayed, either movies like, uh, Black Widow, which got delayed indefinitely, and that means the DVD's not out. And that means there's nothing to put on the shelf of Blockbuster. And that happened to a ton of movies. Like Wonder Woman will come out on DVD whenever next like, February, March, and that'll go on the shelf. And then people will go to Blockbuster to get it. But all those movies got delayed by six months to a year to two years, which meant no new movies on the shelf at Blockbuster, which Blockbuster's driving thing is new releases. Yeah. Always has been. Nobody's going there. Some people go there for the classics, but for the most part, the new releases are what get people in the door. And then you can also rent them The Mask or Swingers or whatever 90s movie, you know, catches them on the way to checkout. But if there's no new releases, there's less pulling people into the store. And that like I Sandy complains about that, and it never even occurred to me that these movies that are being delayed would affect rental stores like that.
3: Yeah. You think theaters, but not the, not the rental store.
4: Right. But it affects everybody just a few months later where, you know, they're just now getting tenant, right. Tenants out, I believe on DVD. And so now there's a reason for people to go, but there hasn't been one of those like Bill and Ted came out and like maybe one other movie this year.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And on top of that, people are struggling and having to justify their expenses and yeah, it's right. gotta be tough.
4: Yeah. Why, why would you rent four movies in a month when you can get Netflix for nine ninety nine, or, or just watch the free stuff on prime or, you know, there's all these new services too, where there's commercials, but it's free, you know, like IMDB has their mm-hmm. free movies and, um, is it uh Tubi or something, but yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're worried about saving money, one of the first things you're going to cut out is like $6 movie rentals. Yeah,
2: for sure. So you have another documentary that I had to talk about, uh, called, um, pick it up Scott in the nineties. Um, I, uh, love ska is i never get the chance to talk about um, it <laughs> so i'm so <laughs> happy you did this um i was truly amazed um uh, at the the uh kind of the scene the world that it that uh, has been created for ska and i personally i didn't know anything really about the history of Scar or the uh its political roots um because i i grew up in a very conservative evangelical household. So like my Scott was like the W's, Fiber and Frenzy, of course, the OC Supertones. And um, uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, what what was your Scott background and what inspired you to create this this particular documentary?
4: Oh, man. Well, I love Scott. This one was my kind of my passion project. I, I like to think of it as my life story as told by all of my musical heroes. Um, and it was a joy to make, but I've been a trumpet player playing in ska bands, mostly in Oregon, since the 90s. Awesome. And it's it's just been a huge, huge part of my life um, that has taken me around the world. And most of my best friends in the world I've met through ska, I, I love it so much. And all of my fondest memories <laughs> come from ska music. And um, I got into it similar to you. I um lived out on the McKenzie River, very small town, went to McKenzie High School, and um, there were a couple of kids who would come to our school, not full-time, they were like part doing a, a Christian school or like a homeschool situation, um, but they were also only allowed to listen to Christian music, and um, we would, they would want to listen to my CDs or tapes, and I would want to listen to their stuff. They were cool kids, you know, and they rode skateboards and listened to punk rock, and MXPX and um yeah. and uh but what really hooked me was Five Iron Frenzy, and that was my entry into the ska world. Was I had been playing the trumpet for years in the school band, and I liked kind of the punk rock music, the no effects, lag wagon, bad religion kind of stuff. And then I, I heard this Five Iron Frenzy cassette tape, and my mind was just like, <laughs> oh my god, you can do that with this trumpet the school band instrument can do this cool thing that you know, and I wasn't no religious person I didn't go to church and didn't understand why they were singing about Jesus but I love the music so much I would I would go with them to see the W's and Five Iron Frenzy at the church basement or the, the roller rink or wherever they would play. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's what got me into ska music. Um and within a year of that I was I had found a local band to play in. They needed a trumpet player, and I was playing um, at the WoW Hall in Eugene. We, My very first show with any band ever, we opened for the Mad Caddies at the WoW Hall, and it was, like, life-changing. I had never seen anything like it. And so that stuck with me. You know, That was 97, I think, and now it's 2020, and I'm still talking about Scott <laughs> just about every day um wearing the checkered hat i I try to play my trumpet as often as i can there hasn't been much call for it during covid but making a movie about ska and particularly 90s ska because that's what Mm -hmm. got me into it um it's not like an important huge thing that like the world needs more of these pop culture documentaries or anything i don't i don't think that at all but i like you know I like to learn a little bit when I watch a movie and I also like to be entertained and Scott and video renting and all these things that just brought me joy in my life. It seemed like a no brainer to like, if I can capture that and put it in a movie and put it out and other people can get some joy or be reminded of the joy they had, you know, that's, that's what I can do. I'm not a doctor. I can't cure anything. I'm not, you know, I, I don't have other skills I can offer to the world, but I can do this. I can I can remind people of the happy things they used to love.
2: Absolutely. Well, I definitely learned something, and I the whole flood of emotions, I was just like, oh my goodness, this is my happy yeah. place. <laughs> um, Allie and I were, uh, Allie is my wife, so we live together, so oh. um, but um, we were arguing over Time Bomb, because I'm a, I'm a big Rancid fan and a big Punk fan, and mm-hmm. so Ali is like this is a ska song and I'm like this is not a ska song this is a punk song and so we had it confirmed of course in the doc that it's a ska song yeah. so she was it very is. happy to
4: gloat did you uh, try to yeah, get I love that <laughs> I love if we can use a movie to settle an argument yeah right okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well it's in the documentary Yeah, we did have a movie fact checked by like a ska historian so.
2: awesome um,
4: even, even yeah, more verified <laughs> yes
2: yeah, did you uh, attempt to get Lars Fredrickson? Lars Fredrickson is my hero. So,
4: ah, uh, we did. Um, so Tim is an—he's uh, our narrator, and I reached out to him. He was backstage at an interrupter show, and I like ran up and was like, "I'm making a movie about Sky. You got to be in my movie about Sky. You're Jim Armstrong, of course. Crazy Operation Ivy, rancid." And um, he was like, "Yeah." You're and then, and then nothing. And we were almost done with the movie and blah, blah, blah. And then one day I got a phone call. It was just a California number. And when you're making movies, you just answer all the California <laughs> numbers because <laughs> you never know who it's going to be. Yeah. And this time it was this voice that I immediately knew. I was like, hey, this is Tim. And he went on and said, Tim from Operation from Ivy and I've been Rancid. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I knew from hey But, um, and he just wanted to talk, ska. And he didn't. He didn't want to be interviewed for the movie. He had just done another movie. It's like done with, on camera stuff. He's grown out a big beard and being an interesting dude. But he wanted to marry the movie. He wanted to audition. He said um, it didn't take us very long to give him the part. But he he was kind of my connection to the rancid world. And we did ask if if Lars would be in the movie, and he. Past for whatever reason um but i did get to hang out with him at his studio and like he let me play the operation ivy guitar that he ha- he still has this like old beat up guitar covered in stickers but it's left-handed because he's left-handed and i'm right handed. i couldn't <laughs> like oh i get to touch it that's amazing
2: <laughs> yeah uh
4: but yeah we we got to hang out and talk and and talk about ska music, and and uh, I would show up, because he was kind of like interviewing me to make sure it was a legitimate project before he signed on, so he would want to talk to me about ska, like, why are you making this, what is, you know, what's your connection, I told him what I told you, um, but he had me come to the studio like three days in a row, kind of just to hang out, and he would like pick up an acoustic guitar and start doing ska covers and doing sing-alongs in the yard, and it was just like, I couldn't believe that was my life, you know? Yeah. One of the days I went there, um, I think we were going to go through his Operation Ivy photo album and pick out some photos for the doc. And um, we're sitting around outside looking through photos. Hey, you want to meet Flea? I'm like, yes, I want to meet Flea. (laughs) What? what? (laughs) Of course, Flea was inside recording bass for something in the studio, like, while we're hanging out. And we go in, and he's like, hey, Flea, this is Taylor, he's making a documentary about Scott, and Flea lit up, and he's like, Scott, I love Scott. Oh. Then we talked for half an hour about Fishbone, like the three of us, and it's just like, that's like, so amazing to me that I got to do that, because I'm a fan of all these things, and all these people, and that's why I'm making these movies, so it's it's so, um, I, know, I feel very fortunate that, like, that was my job that day, was to Talk about Fishbone with Lee and
2: Tim Armstrong. Yeah, that's, seems, that sounds amazing. I was super thrilled to um, hear that the ska scene is still alive and well in other countries, uh, particularly in Latin America. I'm Latina, so but I haven't really investigated that scene. So I was wondering if you could recommend some Latin American ska bands I should check out?
4: Um, yeah, there are a ton. Um, I'm not as well versed in the Latin American Scott scene, aside from the ones that are in the movie, um, uh, sword and publico, I think is one of the big ones and they're awesome. But, um, yeah, in LA right now, there is this huge scene. It's, it's almost like it used to be. And it's wow. a lot of these fans. Do you speak Spanish? Uh, uh, un poquito. <laughs> okay. I don't speak any Spanish, which is probably why I haven't really done the deep dive, because a lot of the bands sing in Spanish. Yeah. and uh, But the music is, like, crazy. Some of it is really traditional, but, like, a lot of it um, is influenced by the Voodoo Glow Skulls and, like, that kind of very aggressive, like, ska, core, punk thrash i don't even know what it is but it's it's insane and like these musicians are so talented i I couldn't do half of what they're doing um but there are some great uh well there used to be great festivals and great like you know all all latino ska fests that would have all these bands playing um in la and i really wanted to i was going to go this year I was like, oh, that's gonna be great. I'm gonna go and hear all these new bands, and it's gonna change my world. And I'm gonna know about what's going on. And instead, I've been here in my house all year. So maybe, maybe check back on that one okay. in a couple of years. Or just you know, ask around on Facebook in the ska groups. If you you know poke your head in one of those, they're very active. The ska scene is alive and well on the internet right now. Um, but everybody is is happy to show you all the best new bands and the beauty is if you haven't listened to it you know up until now you've got 30 40 years worth and you can be like you know what the best bands are the best band from 2000 to 2010 was this and then from 2010 to 2015 So you get like uh, you know the whole world of this uh, latin american ska movement that has been going for 20 30 years
2: yeah, I was busy writing down all the bands <laughs> from the documentary. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I gotta miss, can't miss one.
4: Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of those are bands from the 90s. So while they are still playing, it's like those are the guys who influenced the bands that are playing now, which is really cool.
3: Yeah, I love the doc, and I, I would say prior to that, I was a pretty fair weather ska fan, um, maybe a basic bitch, if you will. But uh, you know, it's really added an appreciation for the genre, and I'm excited to start exploring it. Um, but you mentioned playing trumpet and being in your own band, so we noticed in the credits, of last blockbuster, you're credited in the music. So was that a choice at the beginning, like, hey, we gotta we gotta supply the music for this, or was that brought up by someone else? What was the de- what it went into that decision making?
4: Uh, in the last block, but I did some of the music in the Sky Doc as well, and used some of my old band songs, but um, you know, I've been a musician my whole life. long, mm-hmm. more, Way longer than I've made movies, and so that's sort of always in my bag of tricks. You know, <laughs> we need music. Usually I just reach out to my friends, like the guy who scored the last blockbuster I played in a band with for years. Nice. He was this amazing keyboard player, and called him up and I said, you kind of wanted to do movie scores, right? He's like, yeah. Well, I've got a movie. Can you do it? And he did. Um, but what happened for Blockbuster is we we had uh, Greg from Smash Mouth is in both documentaries. Mm-hmm. Smash Mouth was part of the ska scene for a minute there before they were a giant pop band. Uh, but he also had some really fun movie renting stories that we wanted to put in. A Blockbuster documentary um, and when we put him in, we're like, oh, man, it'd be really cool to put in a Smash Mouth song and not just any Smash Mouth song, but the giant hit from the movie mm-hmm. Shrek that is associated with movies and with that era of movie renting uh, All Star. So we reached out and Greg is like the songwriter for that song. So he was able to cut us a really good deal on the publishing and the way music works for movies is you have to clear the publishing and the master and they're two separate things so whoever wrote the song owns the publishing and usually a record label owns the master because they paid to record it. okay and we got them to where we could kind of afford it and they were like okay this is like our friends and family discount we're gonna let you use this song because it's <laughs> in the movie and it's like we're being real nice and are like oh man that's almost affordable but it would be a whole lot cheaper if we just recorded it ourselves and didn't have to pay for the master. (laughs) And so that's what we did. Um, The version of all star you hear in the movie, that's me playing all the instruments and singing. Wow. Wow. Just because uh, I I did also play in a Scott cover band for a while and we did some smash mouth songs and I knew I could kind of do the voice. (laughs) So I, I went in with full confidence that unless you read the credits, you wouldn't know. And very few people have commented you know, that it's not the real version. Um and then there was another song, um another really like nineties song in there that we did a similar thing for. We we recorded it and that was actually Was that Kiss Me? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was Zeke, my partner on the movie. That was his wife singing, but still okay. me and my bandmates doing the music.
3: Very cool. Um so between the two documentaries, has there been any pleasant surprises or things that you've learned um, since creating them?
4: Yeah, I mean, both movies, what really sticks out to me is like the people I've met and like the community that has popped up around. You know, I'm now part of this online ska community that I didn't even know existed five years ago. Maybe it didn't, but... um and I, I get to meet all these people. And with that one, we got to do uh, theaters, indie movie theaters, and take the movie around. And we would do yeah. concerts afterwards. And I just, you know, I got to just meet people and smile. And we're all just happy, thinking about Scott music, and it's so so happy. And I didn't expect that. I had done one other movie before these that had, you know, we played a couple theaters. And it was fun, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, I have this new group of 500 friends that we're like, we're best friends. We have all the same interests. Right? <laughs> um, and a Blockbuster one is the same way in that you know, I didn't expect I don't know what I expected, but getting to meet the people, like Sandy who's in the movie, like we're friends now. I get to, you know, when I go to Blockbuster, I'm like I have VIP access. I can just go <laughs> in the back, you know, and I go and I drop off our DVDs that they're selling and I, I always wanted to work at Blockbuster. I applied several times and never got the job. And so now I feel like I kind of do work at Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> but I get to take the time off whenever I want. So those were the, the surprises were like the community that came out of it, the sort of the connections. Like, you know, you make stuff and you hope it resonates with people and you hope you get to meet cool people like the two of you who have similar interests that you get to talk to. Um, and COVID changed a lot of that because we didn't get to do theaters with this one. We did a couple of drive-ins and that was it. And so it's all very digital. And then these, these zoom calls, <laughs> these hundreds and hundreds of zoom calls, but they're, it's what we've got. And I still feel like how lucky am I that I get to talk about these things that I love with, people who are also excited about these things. Like I got so excited when you brought up Scott because <laughs> it's not for everybody, right? But yeah. the people who the people who love it love it. And that's that's great. And that's you know, not to get too deep, but like what else is there in the world, you know? Human connection, it's it's what it's all about. For sure.
2: Yeah. I um has the speaking of community like has have you received pretty good response um to this to the last blockbuster
4: yeah yeah we had a great we launched december 15th was our official release date even though it had been on the shelf of blockbuster for a few weeks before that um, but yeah it got reviewed the new york times you know the CNN, Yahoo, all these places. And for the most part, it's been real positive. And the fans that we hear from, the people who enjoy the movie, that's who reaches out. Like People don't like it. They don't take the time to look me up and send me a Facebook message. Um, but the people who like it have been pretty vocal. And it's been, again, great. It's that sense of community. It's It's people reaching out. And I... <laughs> I am one of those buttons for punishment that reads all the reviews and all the comments and stuff they tell you never to read. And there's bad stuff in there, you know, that uh, NPR did not like our movie one day. Oh. And I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> you know, I, I try to make these justifications of like, listen, we made that movie for like no money in the small town in Oregon. And we put everything we had into it for years and years and it's getting reviewed on NPR next to like Wonder Woman, right? The, this week, that's what came out our movie and Tenet and Wonder Woman. And so the fact that you didn't like ours as much, but our budget was infinity less dollars, Yeah. Um, but you're talking about it, you know, you were interested enough to watch it. So you know, all, all press is good press, right? But I am really glad that a lot of the outlets, a lot of people who have watched it, a lot of reviewers get it. Like they have that connection. Like it meant something to them. Like we were talking about before, holding a physical object or trying to think, trying to imagine the smell of a blockbuster video. And you can tell, you know, the film critics that that get it. That you know we made the movie for us. We like it. And so if other people like it. Great. Let's be friends, you know? And so if people on NPR don't like it. Cool. Let's not be friends. I don't listen to NPR. So there we are. <laughs> and I probably have no business reviewing your radio show, so whatever. But instead of saying something mean about it, I'm just going to not say anything. Parents should have raised you better. And
2: Yeah, we are uh, definitely planning our, our trip to, Blockbuster once this is all over. So yeah.
4: Definitely. Nice. Where where in Oregon are you?
3: Uh so we're based at a Marie and I are in Albany and then um our other hosts are in Salem.
4: Okay. yeah.
3: And we all grew up around this area. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh actually like uh the two my co host and I were like in a in a punk band and a metal band uh in Oregon. So uh you know when oh in the late 2000s and uh mid mid 2000s so he was in a band called living in exile uh okay and then i was in a metal band called boy named sue um but yeah that's about it
4: (laughs) did you ever play in eugene and portland
3: yeah yeah we used to play Satyricon a lot um the Hawthorne Theater a few times uh, rock and roll pizza back in the day
4: <laughs> me too yeah. oh my god Really? yeah I wonder if we yeah. ever crossed paths that's what I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious because I also played in a, a kind of terrible punk band and we played a lot of shows with a lot of metal bands and all those same venues and all those uh-huh. things <laughs> I also worked for a while for a concert promoter um, and I was like the, the promoter rep mm-hmm. so I would be the one who paid all the bands and and did all that and I worked at Rock and Roll Pizza and, oh, nice. and uh Hawthorne and all these places <laughs> a lot.
3: We've probably played a lot what? of the weirdest venues too. Like we played a church in Roseburg and Sandy and
4: uh church I I in Roseburg. Uh-huh.
3: Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think our favorite venue yeah. was a Chinese restaurant in Renton, Washington. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <don't care laughs> <that one. anyways. laughs> Um, well, Hey, we're, you know, we're 90s po- podcast first. And so we, we like to ask everyone who's on the podcast, what are they nostalgic for when they think of the nineties,
4: Oh man, all of it. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, I, I have been accused of being overly nostalgic. That is uh, something I wear as a badge of honor. I don't, I don't feel bad about it. I think we're, we're kind of a generation that has earned the right to be nostalgic You know, uh, everything changed for us more dramatically, I think, than any other generation. Like when I was a teenager, the world was 100% different than it is now. You know, everything changed. And so the people who grew up in that new world are never going to understand the nostalgia that people like us feel for the 90s. But, you know, I got all of it. I miss the the dumb, you know, like snacks and beverages <laughs> that don't exist anymore. You know, like, uh, God, what were those drinks? Like the Sobe element, fire, yeah, yeah. and like those things, and uh, Tamagotchi's. And every dumb, like I miss weird specific 90s stuff, uh-huh. like The the pale shoe knockoffs of the popular 90s shoes. that's (laughs) what I could afford. But, like, that's my nostalgia Mm -hmm. level. And then a lot of my 90s nostalgia, um, on top of all the obvious stuff, like, I still love Ninja Turtles and Saved by the Bell and all the things that everybody loved. But, like, a lot of my 90s nostalgia is actually for the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, because... There was that huge wave. Like, do you guys remember the like two months in the mid 90s when everybody got into the Beatles again? Mm-hmm. For, or like yo-yos. There was a it was like six months where we all had yo yo's for some reason. And that's not ninety stuff, no. <laughs> that's like fifty stuff that came back through. And so, like that that's a fun kind of double nostalgia right? Like, I'm nostalgic for the time in the 90s when I was nostalgic for times that I didn't even exist.
2: Oh, that's me totally. (laughs) Like, uh, I have a Lawrence Welk tattoo because my (laughs) 90s was... Going to my grandparents' house every Saturday night was Lawrence Welk on OPB, and so and listening to big band music. So yeah, I'm like, I miss the '40s.
4: Yeah, oh <laughs> so man, really, I guess. Big band, like, remember when we all got into swing right after Scott? Yeah. Right, right. Oh, <laughs> <man. laughs> but there were only three or four bands out. So what we really did was we got the old box sets of, you know, the Lawrence Welk and the like, the big band music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. huge, and the Cherry Pop and Daddies, of course. Yeah, from Eugene, like we would open for them all the time. But like when Swing hit, I man, I should probably make a Swing documentary as a
2: follow-up.
4: There you go. <laughs> yes, but It was so short-lived. It was like three months in 1998. Right. When um, and there's so few bands, right? There's the Daddies and the uh, Brian Setzer Orchestra, mm-hmm. Royal Crown Review, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and kind of the school nut zippers and that that was the landscape those are all bands oh, in catalog. <laughs>
2: right there yeah oh, man, i'm them. like i
4: have all of those CDs <laughs> me too it's funny it for trumpet players like yeah hey cool
3: it's funny that you mentioned sort of that um, moment of the 90s where we like the Beatles and all these other things and you know us 90s kids mm-hmm. get crap for uh, all these things that we're nostalgic for. Now there's all these reboots of things. But I mean, in the 90s, there was movies for The Little Rascals, Leave it to Beaver, all these resurgences from other eras. So it's, I don't know, it's just a, huh. it's got to be a thing for every decade, I'm sure.
4: Yeah, it's more, I think, prevalent. I, I do think because we were the last generation to have a different lifestyle. Like before the internet, everything was different. Um so I think the nostalgia is stronger, and that's why we're seeing more, you know, new Bill and Ted movies and whatever else. Um, that that cook is stronger, but also the economics have changed, and those big movies cost more. And so if you're going to spend $300 million, yeah, let's just call it Jumanji. But it has nothing to do with old Jumanji. Yeah, but more people will go if we call it Jumanji, you know, or Battleship or whatever the whatever the dumb thing is that they're turning into a, a new property, but I'm, I, I'm not one to talk. I've made my entire career out of nostalgia for the nineties. And so that's, I get it. Man. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, it's what I want as a consumer. And so that's why I make movies. About, like I would watch a movie about blockbuster if I hadn't just made a movie about blockbuster. Right. And the same with Scott. Oh my God! Somebody, please make another movie about Scott. So I can watch one that I didn't work on for three years. <laughs> that would be great.
3: Right on. Um, well, is there anything that you want to promote, or uh, where can we find your bands? Well, what's going on with you?
4: <laughs> don't find my band. We um, <laughs> do. I don't feel like that. But we're not, you know, on Spotify or anything. Uh, uh, yeah, the last blockbuster is out now on all the digital platforms and available to rent at Blockbuster Video if you happen to be in town. And Pick It Up is on Amazon and you can get the DVD. It's also available to rent at Blockbuster because I nice. know people. But, um, you know, just just watch movies that make you happy. And I think if you like Blockbuster or stom music that these movies will make you happy. And that's, that's why we do it. Great. Appreciate you being on, man. Yeah, very cool. I didn't know this was origin based That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> cool. Um, awesome. Well, um, hey, stay safe with everything going on. Um, and, um, you know, if you got anything coming up in the future, let us know. We'd love to have you back on.
4: Yeah, all right. I will hope to have more things. But we did do a COVID-based fan remake of Back to the Future too. You can check out. It's pretty Oh, really? Pretty horrible. Yeah, yeah. We Early in the pandemic, I reached out and had a bunch of filmmakers recreate scenes, like, just with stuff around the house, and then we stitched it together and made the whole movie. It's uh, it's a sight to see. Okay. It's, <laughs> oh. it's not very 90. Oh, yeah. Very
3: <laughs> no, where, where can we see it?
4: Uh, It's on YouTube. Okay. It's just, we called it Project 88, because we split it into 88 scenes, but um, it's
3: Okay. Sweet. Nice. Yeah. I, I think I follow the Project Eighty Eight thing on on Insta, so we'll we'll promote that one
4: too. Nice.
2: Yes, and please, please, please make a swing documentary.
4: <laughs> yeah, I've thought about it. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of buddies with the Cherry Pop and Daddies guys, so it's like it would be easy and smaller. You know, like I said, there's only five bands. You really need to reach out <laughs> to and like one record exec, and there you go. You've got the whole story. So maybe yeah okay. yeah it's that's on my list of ideas awesome might well take, i'll be i want to make forward. something not 90s nostalgia at some point
3: but there you go maybe some <laughs> 2000s yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah. awesome yeah cool, cool. it was great great meeting you guys and good luck with everything yeah stay safe
3: thanks taylor our interview with uh, taylor morton and uh, maria's joining us on this discussion so what did y'all think of the last blockbuster
0: I was excited when I watched the trailer before I watched it because one, I love Paul Shear. I love all his uh, podcasts he's in. I love his shows. I think he's hilarious. I love Brian Pissane and I love Doug Benson. So just those three people alone without even really knowing what the documentary is going to be about, I was mm-hmm. super
3: pumped. Yeah, Ron Funches too, who's a great comedian. Um, yeah, Taylor talks about in our interview uh, getting Paul Shear was really big. He wanted him on just because he was on uh, his own podcast where he discusses movies, how and it's made. It's one not my, my yeah, favorite podcast, it's a really great pod. It's super um, funny, and it turned out that he didn't, you know, he wasn't aware that Paul actually worked at Blockbuster. So getting him really added to the documentary too. So it was really, it was really cool hearing not only Paul's experiences working at Blockbuster, uh, but also everyone's just excitement overall, with the nostalgia mm-hmm. factor.
0: Yeah, I've talked to Paul Share on Twitter before because oh. he plays NBA Two K, and I don't really talk to him, but. He said Alan Iverson. uh,
3: Oh. Does Paul Shear follow Gus Gus?
0: He should. Everybody should follow (laughs) Gus Gus.
3: Yeah, that would be good.
0: (laughs) So sincere. I love it. Oh, man. That would be good. That would be good. Yeah. I'll <laughs> <Just>, the- <just. laughs>
1: her- all- all harass him tonight.
3: Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, funny. Did, did watching the documentary, did it bring back any good uh, nostalgic feels or, or memories? Uh, you know, for me, I mentioned earlier in some of our other episodes that like kind of the quintessential 90s thing was every weekend walking down to Blockbuster and spending like an hour or so there just arguing over movies to pick out. Um, but what about you all?
0: Yeah, when they were talking about the smell, um, I closed my eyes and I thought of it, and I could smell while walking into Blockbuster, like, Mm -hmm. easily, without even, yeah, it's just crazy.
1: Yeah, I something I thought about when I was watching it was now with streaming services, like, it brought back a lot of nostalgia for me, but now with streaming services, if I get, like, 10, 15, even an hour into a movie and I'm bored... I'll just find something else. Mm-hmm. But when you know, when you go to a location, decide on a movie, rent it. Like I rented the like some Keanu Reeves movie and I was so freaking bored. I remember this. And Probably all of them <laughs> all of, he's, such a, he's such a horrible actor. I think so he's bad. I don't it, get it. Yeah, he's like the actor version of MASH. I hated that TV show. But um yeah, but I love the Vietnam War though. But um, it was the Korean War. Korea, oh, <laughs> <whoops>. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? It, it's not my favorite war. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, um, but yeah, but yeah, I watched the point of that was I watched the entire movie, even though it was horrible. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I did like too because I was thinking about it before they said it in the documentary about feeling safe. And I was thinking, I remember going there, I always felt safe. And I think it was because it was so bright, no matter how dark it was outside. You go in there and it's bright and there's people around and, you know, it it, it was a safe feeling too, going in there.
1: Uh, One of the ladies in the documentary was talking about how you (laughs) – other people saw what you were picking out. Like here when I'm at home, I can just watch anything no matter how cheesy it is to how – gory it is but back then you had to be like when i i remember renting like some i forgot what it was uh like a gay themed movie like a gay whatever movie and i just got you know self-conscious about it but um but yeah that's it gay
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i did always feel like i had to like kind of like look for like a critically acclaimed movie while i was there i was like i don't want anybody to see that i'm running Ernest goes to camp again, <laughs> you yeah. know? So like I'd have to find something, you know, but that's
3: true. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all grew up in the same area for like high school and there was still a blockbuster there through my senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember it shutting down too and going and buying like everything that they were closing out on. I'm like, I'm going to get as many of these DVDs as I can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got the <laughs> pack up. Uh, like they're like poster size, but they're like painted rat
0: pack pictures. Mm-hmm. And uh, I bought two of them, but one, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have my wallet. So I went home to go get it, came back and it was gone. But oh, no. like, three years later, I was at like Pier 1 Imports or something. I like that, which is also like out of business, basically. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I found it there, which is cool on a out of business sale or going out of business sale. So,
1: capital. F- I feel bad going to those with such glee and delight to get these like awesome discounts and right. these people that are working are going to be losing their jobs but right. it's like whatever um yeah <laughs> it's like when I was, talking to the rest, I was like do you have a, a fake beard yeah i can't feed my children this week yeah okay need a <laughs> <big> beard.' <laughs> then i was so delighted because it, it reminded me that my dad i messaged my dad and i was like you still have that magnet on your fridge so see so he still has a blockbuster magnet from when it was in Kaiser and he got a magnet and it's on the first, another thing too I noticed in Kaiser, suburb of Salem, capital Oregon, I, for people listening um, <laughs> there's a new uh, video rental store there's another video <laughs> rental place in Kaiser <laughs> true <laughs> um,
3: what what did y'all think of the the story of, of Sandy, I, I thought it was he mentions in the interview that he has, the, it's sort of three stories like the rise and fall of the company itself um, sort of the human story of Sandy as a manager and then sort of the nostalgic factor of like, you know, when they give them the cassette, and you can smell it and snap the case or whatever. But um, what did y'all feel about like Sandy's story? You feel for her? Um, she's really good tough, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, knowing that you could be shut down any minute. Like that's gotta be pretty scary. She has really good
1: work ethic. I, I like the like the scene where she's uh Digging for parts of the old software or the old computers that was like giving me anxiety because I know nothing about technology and she's (laughs) just like prying it open there's dust everywhere um so good work ethic and kind of like it almost seems like a local celebrity um not dissing her but it's definitely like teeters on like my strange addiction because there's something that is I'm curious to, I want to talk to her that like uh, something's motivating her to not give up on this job. And I don't know how much she's making, probably sixty to 70000 a year at the most. So what's motivating her to devote all of her time, not think about retiring anytime soon? And what's her what's her drive? I wonder. If, yeah, I mean, it's definitely my strange, not exactly my strange addiction. Like she's not like huffing the breeze or anything or eating
3: chalk. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, she mentions in the doc that she wants to see it out to the end, you know, knowing that I think there's a little bit of pride in knowing that you have the last living and breathing blockbuster video in the world when there was what, 9000 stores at the time. At its peak, I mean, they're saying in the, in the doc like every 17 hours there was a new blockbuster video popping up. So I mean, to still, I don't know. You know, if there's some maybe there's probably elements of pride, but also, I mean, if it's something that you've been doing for she's she's been doing it for what like 16 years, she says in the doc. You know, you maybe don't want to give it up. Do you but think has she has the a Hulu? Do right. Do you think she has a Hulu account or Netflix or anything? I, yeah, I don't know
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably. When, the, when the
0: blockbuster first opened up in Kaiser, uh-huh. I remember my buddy and I were like, oh, we should try to be the first ones in there. I wonder if we get some free stuff. We weren't cause they opened up on a Monday. Um, but we went right after school, didn't get anything for free, but I remember we were like, oh, that's really cool. And then one time we were in there and <clears throat> these two dudes were going to the bathroom and like clipping the boxes. And then, like, stealing the movies. And then one of my friends said, hey, I think they're doing like, like stealing in there. So they went to go check. And then they they ran out. And then two of my friends went to go chase after them. I didn't because I don't care. You know, I'm not going to get hurt. Anyways, so they ran, chased them down. And we were, like, I think they were in eighth grade. I think I was in sixth, sixth grade at the time. So they followed them. The cops finally arrested them. And then when they came back, they each got one free movie rental. <laughs> so they, really? like, risked after their lives stealing. for a movie rental. <laughs> No, the my oh, friends the, the stealers. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, wow, yeah, what if they stabbed you, you know? But yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he said that, you know, they offer curbside pickup and um then the mailing thing, they still do the mailing thing. Um, but the kind of the cool thing about their curbside pickup is you can call and ask, like, hey, I'm looking for a romantic comedy, and they'll like try to pick out something for you which i think might be something that like is valuable in the future that we might see video stores or a video service kind of doing that like you know tailors movies to your interest or whatever i mean obviously there's netflix like like whatever recommends to you but i mean even those
3: algorithms are ridiculous
1: Yeah, (laughs) right there's like movies that I'm sure I've never heard of that. I will never get exposed to because they're never going to be on streaming services. I still go to like the video stores where you can purchase the videos, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's a lot of movies that I'm like, Oh, I want to see that, but it's not on there or there's like a crappy version of it on, you know, YouTube or something like that. But yeah, something about, I still buy DB. Do you, do y'all buy DVDs still or Blu-ray? I, know I mean, it's, we don't.
0: I, I do it just for stuff about, like I super support. Like I have all the DC Blu-ray ones, and that's just in case. Like I don't know, maybe the internet goes out. I can watch on my laptop or something. Um, like Simpsons yes. DVDs, very rare, but yeah.
2: Yeah, I think the last movie that we bought was Get Out. It's a good movie.
3: Yeah, but uh, you know, there's also a need for. Maria's a big fan of, uh, like Perry Mason and sort of the old style TV shows that are definitely not really on streaming services. Um, so it's kind of nice to own the that content just in case that ever kind of disappears. But yeah, yeah. So yeah,
2: like sorry, oh, go ahead.
3: ahead. Oh no, yeah, go ahead. Yeah.
2: So like CBS Access has Perry Perry Mason currently, but like also if you are you can't afford every single streaming service anymore. So it's you know, like if you have a particular show that you want to watch, it's not worth paying. 7.99 a month for to watch when you could go buy them and then just own them mm-hmm.
0: so, that's true that's one thing i started doing like i was like i really want to watch fraser so i'm gonna get peacock and i have one month to watch every episode so i've been binging it like crazy yeah,
3: yeah, Wait, yeah that's isn't another Peacock that's right? <laughs>
0: It is free, but they don't have everything for free. Like, they only have the first five episodes of Fraser free Those motherfuckers. Because <laughs> they got me. Because so I was like, ah, okay. I was hoping that would uh, get my Fraser fixed,
1: but darn it. So, my grandparents, before, I think it was either right when I was born or when I was a little child or, I don't know, sometime a long time ago, they had a video store. And oh. and it was like a mom-paul one in McMinnville in Oregon. And um, so, it's hard. Like, the last blockbuster is owned, like, franchised, but not all of them, from my understanding, were franchised. So Blockbuster comes in and um, pretty much says, like, you're going to become part of us or we're going to put one next to you, pretty much, and then get y'all out. So -hmm. I have empathy for, like, and supporting, like, the, the family that's running that last Blockbuster, but it's kind of interesting karma or whatever that they... Took out mom and um, video stores and now they're nowhere to be found. So, right, right.
0: You, your uh, grandparents' video store was it like a two story one in McMinnville? It kind of looked I, like a house.
1: I actually don't, I don't know. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, but the, the thing is, they had my grandparents super conservative, but they had a porn section, and maybe that's something that they could have kept because porn shops are still. dipping and doing going
3: maybe so what i say blockbuster
1: (laughs) maybe
0: (laughs) what if it was like really conservative porn though like
1: (laughs) (laughs) or even like a section that has like full frontal nudity like having like because you can't have porn and blockbuster but maybe having like a section you know where there's naked people in it I think yeah. that was
2: called the international section.
1: Yeah, there we go. <laughs>
3: My favorite.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What's your most recent full frontal movie? Oh, yeah. We, we should movie. call them right now and ask that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Do you have any full frontal <laughs> movies? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, well, another. <laughs> <laughs> so, the other doc that uh, we talked about with Taylor was. Um, with ska you know and his his portrayal of the history of ska and and its boom and all that stuff so what what did y'all think of, of ska music growing up
0: well it's it's music related but i don't i didn't hear you ask if he was part of motley crew
3: <laughs> oh my god <laughs>
0: <laughs> we need to know that's what the people want
3: <laughs>
0: um no, but I don't know. Why I keep answering first. I'm sorry. I'm just. I've had a lot of coffee today. It's like alphabetical, I, uh, <laughs> though. <laughs> oh well, there we go. Uh, ska, not a huge fan, but there were some. Like I like Goldfinger, and that could be attributed to Tony Hawk One. Um, and then I also like the. It's a little more punky than ska, but it was Against All Authority. I like that. I like that man a lot. I had two of their CDs when I was growing up. So, and then of course Mighty Mighty Boston's had a few of the hits. Um, the lead singer still doesn't eat peanut butter because. uh when he was young, I guess he like moved from like New York or Boston to the West coast or something. And he didn't have that much money. And he, all he had was like bread and peanut butter. So he just won't ever eat that again. Cause that's all he had for like a week and a half. Pretty cool story. But so
1: that's my ska. Knowledge. Okay. I have a question about ska cause I don't know anything about ska, but I remember hearing that word before and okay. So don't slut shame me for this, but do, so when I Google no doubt, there, there is an American ska punk band from Anaheim, California. So, and they have a song in one of their like albums that's not that good, but where there's like a guy. Not all. No doubt, you love No Doubt. Yeah. Me? Oh, I like uh, the early No Doubt. Yeah. Yeah, but um, or but yeah. Anyways, but they have ska artists right on a couple of their songs.
2: What do you mean Scott artists?
1: Okay, there's like a song um where there's like a lady singing um Give me to No. No 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 no. No no no. Okay, there's that Hey Baby. This is not 90s related really, cuz it was 2001, but Hey Baby and Hella there's like a couple of their songs that like they have like a Scott artist, I think. But anyways, I don't know if no doubt is is anything, but they are everything. Yeah, Ska is just
0: like, I don't know, mellow punk with reggae section. I guess it's some horns. Oh. I'm trying to, like, if you've never heard it, but if you've heard of punk and you've heard of reggae, it's similar. Just put those two together, I guess.
2: Yeah, in the doc, that's what they uh, pretty much distill it down to is fast reggae.
0: Mm, yeah.
2: Which actually, uh, Ska preceded reggae. So uh, Ska happened. Um, In Jamaica originally and kind of um fused the rock and roll and then their own rhythm and own horn section and so then that's kind of uh then it moved to Europe and then the U.S. but yeah so ska preceded reggae
1: is funk in there anyway like is funk tangled up in all that too Maybe there's like very the little heavy elements,
3: yeah. There's some like little elements of funk, but they sort of in the doc distill it down to like rock and roll, jazz. Um, and what else was there? Punk, punk, yeah.
0: I love skanking, like, I would go to a ska just to see everybody skank because, yeah. like, when someone like Pharrell, I, I saw this one time on TV and it was like, is the end of his MTV show. And you know how they used to kind of play live things during the credits, well, anyways. They were live, and everybody started skanking at one time, and Pharrell was doing it. And he looks so freaking cool, but I haven't been able to find that clip since. Um, and it was an indoor concert.
1: But no, that stuff's dope. I love that dance. It's cool looking. Do you dance, Maria, to ska?
2: I do. I have the ability to skank, but man, it's probably been 20 years.
3: <laughs> I've never skanked, but I used to be a skank. <laughs> sure, Jeff. <laughs> um, so yeah and the, another thing that taylor sort of talks about and and ska has been impacted by covid because there's a big following for live shows and uh, he was mentioned down in la there's uh a lot of the latino ska bands that are out today now have a big following and so they rely heavily on their on their live shows um so that's kind of a bummer too just how that's taken away but he recommends if you're into ska, like go find some Facebook groups because it's a really cool community and really welcoming and embracing types of peeps. So,
0: yeah, it's always pretty positive. I never really met like a like fucking ska bruh. I never, <laughs> you know, I never anybody like that. Like, well, you don't listen to metal, you know, or something like that. Well, you don't listen to ska. You, know, I don't know, but no, they're always really friendly. And he's like, Op Ivy. I don't
3: know. <laughs> so what I was gonna say is I, I just think it's kind of cool that even in modern day today that we're getting all these really fun documentaries about all these niche 90s subjects you know stuff that we're excited about from back then and uh taylor really touches well on why why we are so nostalgic for the 90s because we're we are that last era that didn't you know get this in full embracement of technology and so we've lived in these two different time periods really um But it's just cool that, you know, we get documentaries like The Orange Years, where it's just about 90s Nickelodeon, and we can watch a documentary about just Ska in the 90s. Um, So I'm kind of excited to see what else comes along the way.
0: Yeah. I'm going to patent this. I was thinking for a fun episode but we can just make a documentary of it the rise and fall of uh discovery zone remember that place
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah i was thinking about that today that empire oh. <laughs> well i had a lot of friends that liked that place and i was like no chuck e cheese is better and who is laughing now
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> but marie, chuck e cheese has a- gone downhill too though
3: oh yeah they're, they're struggling marie if there was like a 90s specific documentary what would yours be on
2: Oh, I think, uh, Taylor is already going to make it and, uh, Western and not Western swing, uh, just, <laughs> just swing. <laughs> I mean, Western swing in the nineties would be cool, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just, uh, the, the revival of swing for like, he said like three months yeah. <laughs> in the nineties.
0: A one, two, three, four, five star review.
3: <laughs> yeah, we'll <look> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, No, I think in the 90s, I've seen there's many of them, but like uh, skating in the 90s and, you know, top it off, like to end the 90s uh, with Tony Hawk in that 900 for the first time, because that was like mid-99 right when that, when he did that. So that'd be a really fun documentary, but it's been done a thousand times. So, yeah. So there you go. I don't know why
1: I said that.
2: (laughs) What about you, Jeff? What would you want?
1: Oh, gosh. I haven't seen, I haven't done any research to see like if there's already a documentary, but I think, um, a really good Spice Girl documentary because I think '90s Spice Girls, that's it. Um, and maybe one about, um, like the God damn it, cat dog, uh, like the East versus East Coast West Coast stuff because that Rat was. Battle. Yeah, that was such a big part of the 90s for me. Or not for me, but like, you know what I mean? like I <laughs> Like, uh, it was in, like influential,
3: like the rap music in the 90s. So, yeah. I've, I've always even, liked... Oh, I was going to say, they even touch in the documentary of, about ska that there was a style of East Coast ska and the style of West Coast ska. So it's just kind of funny how it affects all genres of music, not just rap.
0: Well, I think it's like rap and hardcore and ska and punk. I think mm-hmm. East Coast... I've always liked West Coast a little bit better just because it's been a little more aggressive and faster, I feel like, with, like, rap and everything. Um, especially with rap, I feel like East Coast is a little more lyrical. Not taking in, in, anything away from West Coast artists, but I feel like West Coast is more like, um, I'm pissed off. <laughs> I don't know. So I've always kind of vibed more towards the West Coast than the East Coast stuff. There
1: should be mid Midwest rap. Like, like I want to know <laughs> what like oh, what's going on in Oklahoma –
0: yeah Oh, what about uh who's the rapper from canada was his name snow boom boom down
3: the rapper yeah, uh, i think his name was snow but like
0: no no old one from the 90s this white guy oh. uh, licky boom oh, boom down we were just,
2: <laughs> that sounds so we good were just talking about that ali what uh we? he's like a reggae artist
3: oh oh that's right and like we were watching it the video and it had like said the lyrics on the on the screen and we were like there's no way that's the lyrics but i know yeah, the song yeah. is
0: informer uh, but i don't know the artist oh <laughs> i don't know why um <laughs> actually speaking of like reggae stuff modest yahoo i saw modest yahoo live and he had a reggae band open for him oh never mind we're talking about never mind, never mind.
3: <laughs> yeah that's no, all good
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh we're talking ska, not reggae <clears throat> In the same vein, you know. Um, so I guess my last question for y'all is going back to get back on track with the last blockbuster. Um, do you feel sort of bummed or sad as a part of you lost that that element of your childhood is, will definitely probably go away? With that sensation of going to a video store and in the smell, the feel of the plastic. Uh, the experience of picking out things with your with your partner or friend or whoever, I don't know, does that part of it, is, does that bum you out, or are we just far enough from it that it's just, you know, it's time for it to go?
0: Not so much for me because the end game of going to a video store was to watch a movie at your home. So we're still able to do that. It is a little bit easier now. Um, and, I mean, yeah, I do get, it is kind of sad, but I think it's just because, you know, when you're a kid, everything's a lot just better. So you just think it was better then. But now that I'm an adult, like with a job and everything, if I had to like, oh, well, let's go get a movie and we have to like go and go, uh, go to the movie theater. Cause sometimes it was super packed, you, you know, wait 45 minutes, get the movie, then come back. That's like a big ordeal. So, I, I mean, for me, not so much. Doesn't it bum me out too much? Um I mean, times are changing, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah,
1: I don't know. It didn't bum me out until I watched it, and then I realized that that no longer existed. I don't, you don't remember like, well, oh, that was the last time I went to one to rent. I remember going to all of them and being like, "Look at all this sweet stuff for for super cheap!" Like that was cool. But um, but yeah, I I got I definitely got nostalgic watching it and. Um, and now everything is like streaming and groceries delivered. And you don't have to, it was another touch point. Like they say in the documentary, it was another interaction. So I think that's kind of just, there's no way to go back. Um, So it is what it is, but um, it is kind of, it is a little sad. And like, there's a younger kid, maybe, I don't know, 15 or something in the documentary. And it just blows his mind that people would go, that, you know, that that was normal. Yeah.
3: What about you, Maria?
2: Um, not really. I, I think you and I talked about this last night, is that I'm not particularly nostalgic for a lot of the old technology. Um, I think that it obviously is an inferior technology, and I think we've progressed since then. And while I understand like the the feeling of that experience, I definitely don't wish... Like, I don't wish VHS was around anymore. It's not, was not great quality. Whereas like now we have things in crystal clear picture, 4k, things like that.
3: Yeah. I think if anything, and probably for that community is, is it is a, it is a thing for people to get out of their house, like whether they're taking a walk or a drive and then they get to go see Sandy or somebody who works at the store that they like and have a conversation with them. You know, people who are extroverted, maybe find that. Uh, enjoyable, I, I think. I more long for, I mean, maybe not. I don't long for blockbuster or that experience, but I maybe long for a time that I wasn't so attached to technology. Um, mm-hmm. And like as Jeff said, um, you know, if you get bored of the movie, I'm on my phone. You know, and there there was a time where we didn't have that option, and <laughs> you either turned it off or, you know. But um, yeah, but it's funny too, Jeff. Like you mentioned. That we at one point that was the last time we visited a blockbuster right or it's like you don't think about those things but i, I saw uh, a tweet that was like at some point you signed out for uh you signed out of aim for the last time and didn't realize it right yeah. <laughs> so or or <laughs> played full
1: of those. with played with toys like you played with toys like and did that imagination thing mm-hmm. for the last time at one point
3: yeah
0: like, when i was in high school i always went to the little lunch cart and i got like a I don't know, burrito and Hawaiian punch and stuff. But anyways, the last three days of my freshman year, I went to the cafeteria and they had a cheeseburger Hot Pocket. And it was incredible. And I was like, Dilo you have to try this. So then he got it. And so we finished the year on those cheeseburger Hot Pockets. The whole summer we're like, oh, can't wait to get those hot pockets. They discontinued them, so I completely understand how you guys feel.
1: But you remember, you remember the last time you had that. That's really
0: yes. Cool. And I've searched and I've searched, and I cannot find these hot pockets. Have you tried making uh, your own? Yes, yes, I have. It, it was really can't good, re- but it didn't be taste. replicated. <laughs> While well, watching the documentary, I was thinking because Blockbuster was so huge in the 90s and 2000s tour whenever he's like nobody would have expected it to you know fall like that and it's true but it's also weird how quick i mean it was like a just a little blurb in, you know human history just was 25 years roughly about Mm -hmm. that's and it was so big and i don't know it's just weird 25 years is all it was and people are gonna remember it forever i don't know it's just nuts yeah
3: yeah, I mean, it had a massive impact for the short time that it was there. Um,
0: yeah, because I can't really think of anything else. Twenty five, like,
3: yeah. Well, and it's 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 strange too. They bring this up in the doc. Is like I had no idea before video rental stores that a to rent a movie or to own a a VHS copy of something was like seventy five bucks minimum. Yeah, right. And so that's that's a pretty crazy concept too. That um, that that ended up changing because of that.
0: Yeah, I didn't, and I was thinking about that. I was like, "Whoa!" And I was like, "Well, I guess I wasn't alive before then. So why would I even think about that?" You know, right, like, right, right. Kids nowadays aren't thinking like, "Oh, yeah, you had to spend a quarter at a phone booth to make a call when you weren't at home," and they're just never going to think that because they just grew up with cell phones. You know, so just
1: kids weird. today just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's a not. It's kind of off the subject, but on subject of VHS. But modern, there's like this horror movie that's called VHS, and it scared the bejesus out of me. And that's it. But that it's it was terrifying.
3: <laughs> but. Well, any last thoughts on the, either of the docs before we uh go into some trivia?
0: No, I thought the doc was you know well made. Thank you, Taylor, for being on the podcast. Sorry, um, I wasn't able to interview with you. um But no, it was, it was fun. I enjoyed watching it. You know, if, if you haven't watched it yet, make sure you go out and watch it because it's pretty fun and you know while i was watching that even though i don't long for those days it did make me feel good watching it thinking about some memories i had while at blockbuster and picking the movies and everything so it was fun i liked it a lot
1: i i thought it was funny and well done but the one part i needed clarification on was there's um they put the they they interview a guy for like 120 seconds or whatever and he was so rant who was that guy i didn't understand who that guy was he was the creator of a
0: um, Swamp Man or whatever. But why was he? But what was his? Why
1: was he on there though? He just seemed Looney Tunes, and I loved it. I thought it was fabulous because, like, you could tell the the lady uh, that was narrating the documentary. Yeah. She, you could you could hear her side eye with him like she knew that he was messy and i loved it well i
0: liked when they started the documentary and then he just starts going off he goes you even know who i am and they said really easygoing <laughs> guy underneath <laughs> his name or something yeah. i was like that's hilarious yeah, yeah he's really cool <laughs> yeah that was funny. But yeah no it was seconds
1: yeah no it was funny it was good comedic timing i thought
2: yeah i like i said i don't really miss the technology but i did uh I did have fun watching it. It was uh, in- in- enjoyable, entertainable, entertain. <laughs> yeah.
0: Entertainable. I like that. That's like a- <laughs> it's like something that's tangible, but entertaining. That's cool.
2: <laughs> and uh, and uh, I definitely can smell Blockbuster. Still. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think they did an amazing job really embracing the sensations and how when you feel nostalgia for something, it does – uh and you know activate the senses which is really cool um, and it was just fun like you guys mentioned just hearing all these these stories and what what uh, other comedians and people we admire get excited about so mm-hmm. yeah all right cool well we're gonna wrap up the podcast with a round of do you know it with quizmaster jeff and this time we got three participants with Maria and Andy and myself so let's do it go
0: down do, do 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 you know it? Do, do 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 you know it? Quiz.
1: This is gonna get messy, and I haven't read this. I never read. I should really read them before I go into this. I can't wait for so the day
3: we say this is the most organized quiz. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> like, <laughs> every so time messy. it's messy. <laughs>
1: yeah. Anywho, and I'm reading it kind of in the dark, so that, that'll be more fun. Okay, so there's gonna be six questions. All right. Yeah. Okay. Multiple choice. Okay. <clears throat> okay uh what company sued blockbuster a fox b nintendo c warner brothers d sony
3: uh i'm gonna guess c
2: i think warner brothers
3: i'll guess nintendo Okay,
2: Ali was right.
3: Um, oh, my
1: gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Blockbuster, <laughs> <laughs> Blockbuster took advantage of the – okay, I'm not going to read what, I, what it actually was. Okay, so pretty much um, Blockbuster wanted to capitalize on the um, video game popularity of, like, the 80s and 90s. So they, you know, started renting them out, and Nintendo was thinking, like, hey, we're losing money this way. Um, So they sued them and they ended up settling. But then in 1994, Nickelodeon, or not Nickelodeon, Nintendo, there we are. Nintendo uh, decided, yeah, let's just have them rent them and we'll make money that way, whatever. So they caused all this hoopla, and then um, decided it was fine, whatever. And then afterwards, uh, games at Blockbuster um, made up 8 to 10% of total revenue. So that's kind of an interesting fact. But it's not the fun fact. Nintendo and Blockbuster. (laughs) Oh my God. Nintendo and Blockbuster were on and off again more than Ross and Rachel. (laughs) That's a friend's reference since it's a 90s nostalgia podcast. Andy is a total Joey. (laughs) And Allie is for reals a Monica. Um, <laughs> yeah. um. i would say that my favorite i'm not saying I'm, i am this person but i would say my favorite is phoebe because i do not wish to cover her and honey and let winnie the pooh cover uh, attack her um <laughs> not that i want that to happen to joey and monica which the two of you are totally then. you uh, said what um, you <laughs> but who is who, who would maria be on that show on that friend's show if anyone's heard about it um, probably, I'm gonna guess Ross. I'm guessing she's a total Ross. Um, <laughs> but anyways, no, I love that that shows. Nah, I don't love that show. Fuck it. Um, okay, so <laughs> Ali's.
4: Well,
0: <laughs> I, I when I was a kid, I rented a Super Nintendo from Blockbuster, and I think I rented Blues Brothers was the game.
1: Oh, um, I was wondering how that was connected, but that was the original question, so that makes sense. Wait. <laughs> okay, so number two. Wait.
3: Wait. Okay. Wait. Wait. I, ah. I I can see maybe how Andy's a Joey. How am I a, a Monica? I'm just curious. Does I'm anyone just... want to take that? <laughs> I don't think anybody <laughs> else watches. I, I don't know the show oh.
1: well enough. <laughs> I um, have no. <laughs>
2: never seen an episode of Friends. She's ever. just very
1: meticulous, and <laughs> that's just good. I like Monica-ish. Wait. She is. She's a little bit. Oh, is Ali not meticulous? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh <laughs> maria's throwing show <sugar. laughs> <laughs> well you're not you're not did see like the other anyway i don't really like friends that much oh, but, so like,
0: speaking of phoebe though if it wasn't yeah. for her conan wouldn't have taken the conan o'brien show because they, were, they offered it to him and he's like i don't know if i should do this but they're really really good friends and she's like it has to be you it can't be anybody else because how you are and you're funny and people like you and so he's like okay and if it wasn't for her he never would have done it
1: so. yeah, we need to do like a late night episode and just a daytime, I think. Because daytime, yes. mm, that's like a circle jerk. Um, okay, so number two, by the end, by the by the end Andy got that. Uh by the end of the 90s, how uh okay, by the end of the 90s, how much total revenue came from late fees? So how much total revenue came from late fees? A 23%, B 28%, C 16%.
3: D, 8%. I'm going to go C again. I'm feeling C. Mm. Uh, I'll guess the highest, what, was 28%? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to guess that. All right, Maria.
2: Uh,
1: 16%? Yeah. Okay, so, uh, wait, Andy and Maria got it. By the end of nice. 1989... 80, 800, 800, folk, $800 million was the total revenue for late fees. Jeez. Yeah. And then in uh, 2004, the company announced end of late fees and thus another tire sl- slash for one of the most powerful retailers. The yeah. fun fact is Blockbuster <laughs> – The Blockbuster was the place for sad, divorced women to rent movies like Waiting to Exhale (laughs) and Up Close and Personal to watch watch alone while drinking a bottle of cheap white wine and munching on Gushers. Sad, sad divorced men did not go to Blockbuster because Blockbuster did not have a porn section. The the modern-day porn shop can be traced to the 1920s. Porn shops are still in business today, despite the easily accessibility you know, of internet porn. That is mainly due to strippers purchasing clothing, shoes and shoes, purchasing sexual enhancers, sex toys, and the occasional tap tap, random sex with a stranger in the store. <laughs> also, also porn shops um, are used by sex workers there we yeah. go yeah.
0: i was at a porn shop one time and uh i'm not gonna say his name but my buddy kept asking about like the jerk off booths or whatever and yeah. my other buddy goes all right here you go and he just gave him five bucks <laughs> and he came out and he goes i almost got to finish twice so a few years, when was <laughs> it it was not uh,
1: <laughs> five or six years ago i worked at an adult shop just for fun i, I have two friends getting... <laughs> well now three friends two were you robbed there No, no, no. I have two friends
0: that worked at the uh, two different ones, but they're both in Salem and they were both robbed at gunpoint at the porn store.
1: My job was to uh, just help. My favorite part was getting the ladies their dildos and vibrators. And then okay, the, then I saw this really like sweet little old man. He came in. And then this other sweet little old man came in afterwards to the arcade. And I was like, oh, I think that they should. And they totally got it on in there. And they left it together.
3: <laughs> I thought that was Aww. so sweet.
1: Romantic. Maybe they're was, still together now. I hope so.
3: Um, okay, I love, I love that we're getting back to our roots from, like, our first episodes, and we're talking about porn again. <laughs>
1: oh, God. Yeah, it's nostalgic. Okay, so all three of you are at one point. Okay. And yeah. In what city did Blockbuster try to open a mini amusement park in? A, Detroit, Michigan. B, Albuquerque, New Mexico. C, Dallas, Texas. D, Redding, California.
3: I'm going to guess Texas
0: california i can mm. picture the image that they showed in the documentary but i
1: can't remember what town it was
2: yeah uh what was the second one
1: uh albuquerque new mexico
2: oh let's just do albuquerque
1: oh maria is at two points oh, oh. yeah you in know 19- me i'll be courting. <laughs> in 1994 executives attempted to create an adult amusement park with laser tags mazes, and motions stimulator rides the concept never caught on some notable bling people from the 90s that are from albuquerque are mike judge creator of beavis and butthead and king of the hill mm-hmm. freddie prince jr actor heartthrob and the man with a permanent cowlick
3: also in and, all the worst movies ever according uh, to yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: yeah um and french stewart He's a blind looking actor who people think, oh, that guy. And 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 oh, what's his name? Uh, when they see him. But correction: nobody cares what his name is. We're in a global <laughs> pandemic fighting for justice, and currently Vanna White is making over 10 million dollars per year. So no one gives a flying fuck about. French Stewart.
0: Yeah, I'm talking about like when you go down the street, it's French Stewart this, <laughs> French Stewart that. Yeah, we constant. have stuff to worry about,
1: people. Yeah, uh, I'm not interested. Van <laughs> White makes so much money. <laughs> I'm not interested. All the kids uh, now with their French Stewart shirts on. Ugh. Um. Okay. So uh, Maria, I'm pointing. It's a podcast, and I mean, <laughs> Maria is at two. Ali is at one. Andy's at one. Okay. Number four. Aside from independently owned. The last official blockbuster video location closed in November two thousand thirteen. So Alaska. Ended, okay. Um, what was the <laughs> what, what was the last title rented? So what was the last movie rented? Was it A 28 Days Later? B The Day After Tomorrow? C This Is the End? D The Rapture?
3: Day After Tomorrow. I'm going to say, I'm going to hope that it's ironic enough to say this is the end.
2: Uh, 28
3: Days Later. Ooh, Allie pulls it to first place
1: tied with Maria at right. oh, this is the end. I don't know that movie was made in 2013. I thought it was more recent than that. I know, time really flies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um, the, the only fun fact is Killing Murphy is nude in 28 Days Later. Um, <laughs> that's a great fact, <laughs> killing Murphy, kill Killian Murphy is that his name? Killian, Cillian, Killian. Oh. He's the guy in 28 Days Later, he's naked in that movie. Peaky that's box. a scary movie, though, right? It's so scary because they, yeah,
3: they run. He plays Scarecrow in uh, Batman Begins.
1: Mm-hmm. He's okay. actually Batman in The Dark Knight in and Dark in Knight. The Dark Knight Rises, too. He was almost Batman,
0: but no, no oh, sure. was, yeah, like he was he was like second in line. Um, really yeah crazy right he has a great jaw though i could see it in his eyes they're piercing hmm. sure yep yeah he's he's too um,
2: scrawny to be batman
3: i was just i was just say. thinking that too
0: <laughs> but i mean you can bulk up look at uh who did the batman <sighs> christian bale he he gained a lot of he was like yeah. 185 or 190 and then he bulked up to 230 then like 260 but yeah or something like that it, like it took up a lot yeah
3: because he went what what from the machinist to to batman
0: Something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah it's a huge that's bulk up. It's just like the new guy. Um, Robert Twilight. Madsen. Mm-hmm. Great job. I'm yeah, stupid. Mr. Twilight that
1: one. is his name. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited wait. to see that too. <laughs> Me
0: too. I'm super excited. Have you watched The Lighthouse yet?
1: Yeah. I loved it. This is pretty is cool. That the, is that the one where he jerks
3: off in it? Uh, There's nice. a lighthouse in it. Oh, <laughs> I think someone also jerks off in it, but <laughs> oh, okay.
1: Because there's a movie where he does that, and he actually does it. But anyways, um, oh, I sound bad on this episode. Okay, so number five, what retailer did Blockbuster attempt to purchase? A. Media Play, B. Sharper Image, C. Circuit City, D. Sam Goody. I'm going to say
0: Circuit City just because they made a lot of bad decisions. (laughs) So why not pick up uh, Circuit City?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sam Goody. Uh,
1: Okay, what were the other choices? Uh, Media Play and Sharper Image. Uh,
3: What the hell? I'll say Sharper Image.
1: Yeah, so all four of these are no longer in business. Sharper Image still sells things online uh, through third party. I'm not sure exactly how it works. It's really boring. Um, The answer is C, Circuit City. Yes. (laughs) Um, Mm. Who got that right? Andy did Those are all tied up, that's awesome Um, Uh This is intense Yeah, okay, so no one gives I need to stop, okay, no one gives a F About these That these places went out of business Technology will be the end of humanity The few survivors that remain will live underground Until computers find us If the If I survive the first wave I will definitely try to make a deal with the computers To spare the lives Uh, Wait, fuck Um, I will definitely – so I'll try to make a deal with the computers and sabotage everybody else, but they'll keep me alive and put me on an island. Wow, I was really fucked up during this. Okay, (laughs) and I would – but I would spend years figuring out the technology to do time travel and go back to the time uh, way back when to prevent (laughs) – to prevent (laughs) Michelle Trackenberg's parents from creating (laughs) that spawn of Satan.
3: (laughs) But not, then you, not you, stop technology, just stop. Yeah, but you won't stop technology
0: because it created paradox and that's why you can't go back in time. But I, OK, I, I like your theory, because if zombies <laughs> happened, I said two mm-hmm. things. One, just get a houseboat or two. If you just are the first person bit by the zombies, now you're part of them. So you just join the crew. So I get it. But can fish become zombies?
1: Yeah, I don't, maybe. Uh, I'll do some research. OK. Um, Well, this is going to be good then. Okay, so we're all tied up. Um, Okay, so number six. What title did I not purchase at a closing Blockbuster location? A, Annapolis. B, Dirty Love. C, For Colored Girls. Or D, Lost in Translation.
3: I guess do. Lost in Translation.
1: What was B? Uh, Dirty Love. So I'm going to go B. Dirty Love has Jenny McCarthy. Annapolis has James Franco. For Color Girls has Whoopi Goldberg, I guess. And then Lost in Translation has Bill Murray. I don't know if that matters.
2: I'll go for
1: Color Girls. Okay, so for Color Girls, Allie, what did you say again? Lost in Translation. And then Andy said? B. B. I forgot the movie already. Okay. So it's um so I definitely bought Annapolis. I, I already had a copy of it and I still have two copies of that movie. It has <laughs> it has Tyrese and James Franco. Come on. So I have two copies of it. So in case one of them goes out, you can never have enough James Franco. Um in case one I, of them goes out. Yeah. I bought Dirty Love. It's so bad it's it's good. It's so bad it's good. It flipped over for the car I chose. Yeah, Damn so it. for for Color Girls, has Whoopi and Janet Jackson, so of course I bought that. Um, except for, I did buy that, but it ended up being a Blu-ray. I didn't have a Blu-ray player at the time, so that took a little bit of time. But it's such a good movie. Oh my god, it made me cry. Um, I did not buy Lost in Translation. I personally do not enjoy Bill Murray. Um, I don't like watching a homeless man struggle to live. Um, the only film I do enjoy him in is in, in Kingpin. Kingpin is an amazing film, and you know who doesn't like like jokes about or including come.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, so, what did you buy then?
1: I bought everything but Lost in Translation. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't buy Lost in Translation because I don't give a fuck. Um, and i'm not a huge fan Wait, what was he, the question oh, then that's so like your
0: one. Oh, which one you didn't buy? Uh,
3: yeah <laughs> well I, um that's, the, that's your most controversial opinion i think is you not liking bill murray
1: yeah everyone's like so upset like like they're all like split throats obsessed with him and i just can't i can't like he's good he's not that good apparently like i love homeless. him <laughs> he what apparently he's homeless. <laughs> Yeah, he looks like a homeless man struggling to live, and I don't like watching that. Um, but <laughs> back to Kingpin Kingpin, Kingpin. Kingpin could be, like, a two-episode uh, episode. episode. Anyways, um, my favorite line from that movie is from the landlord after she has sex with Woody Harrelson's character. What is it about good sex that makes me want to ha- take a crap? You really jarred something loose, tiger oh love that <laughs> <laughs> i love that love that <laughs> you know, but but it's worst to live by you should yeah get, you should get that tattooed i want to okay, <laughs> well, I got, the picture on, of her face <laughs> on my lower back her doing that <laughs> you guys can't see it but i was doing the female uh oral sex uh thing anyways so ali won again
3: good job um so hold on so maria or andy do either of you like bill murray i, lo- I love bill murray
2: he's all right, all right. i don't know yeah. Yeah. I haven't – to be fair, I have not seen a lot of movies. Well, I have not seen a lot of movies, but I have not seen a lot of Bill Murray movies.
1: (laughs) So if I had to – okay, here's a Sophie's choice. If you had to choose between Bill Murray, just watching him, just watching a movie, a Bill Murray movie, or who do I think is funny? Uh, Eugene Levy. Uh Uh-huh. Who would you choose? What movie – like if you had to watch a Bill Murray movie right now or – Eugene Levy or Steve Martin or something like that. Who would you would really choose? Bill Murray over oh. Eugene Levy, I would. Yeah. Oh, what about Steve Martin?
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Movie wise, yes, yeah. uh, especially because like Steve Martin's made some okay movies, but like I don't know, you got Ghost Ghostbusters. That's like Ghostbusters. Well, is Ghostbusters. What
3: about Bob Caddyshack Stripes?
0: Right stripes oh i love stripes um <laughs> but i mean the best movie i think steve martin's ever made is uh either the jerk, the jerk mm-hmm. and then also what's the one with him and goldie hahn when they go to new york
3: oh i haven't seen that for the ever. out-of-towners oh, i
1: love and that and they're also in um the movie where she pretends to be his wife Fuck, what's that one called the house guest i think she's oh. it's a really weird anyway she's one with queen latifah no that's bringing down the house which is oh, okay. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> better than any bill murray movie <laughs> i don't I, maybe it's the the, the god like stigma or it's not stigma but aura uh-huh. around him that like puts me off to him his special was really good yeah yeah, yeah and yeah.
3: he's a scrooged <laughs> yeah and <the> scrooge so. <laughs> is
0: amazing and i heard the story where he was in like england or somewhere uh at this bar and someone like their college kids and they go oh we're, we're having a party do you want to come over he's like yeah sure So he gets there. It's an apartment. They don't have any clean dishes or anything. So he helps them wash the dishes, drinks all night with them. And this is only like 10 years ago, so not that long ago. He wakes up and thanks them and then leaves. How cool is that? And yeah, he was drinking right. out of a coffee mug all That's time what homeless, that's you know?
2: Man who goes to your house, <laughs> homeless people. That's
0: a homeless person to do. That is definitely a homeless story.
3: <laughs> well, there might be.
1: Damn, checkmate, Jeff. There
3: might be some merit there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now I have to rethink everything I thought. <laughs> He's just a homeless man that got, like, cast in movies.
0: Oh, man, that's funny. Oh, man. <laughs>
1: but i thought those were good questions i thought like i learned a lot during research for this (laughs) yeah
3: those are great questions no that's so funny anyways oh bye (laughs) Bye. (laughs) (laughs) oh shit that's so good um Mm. all right so that was the last of the questions huh
1: yeah you won classic classic monica
3: All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. We want to thank Maria for joining us. And we want to thank Taylor for taking the time and his busy schedule to come chat with us a little bit about his awesome documentaries. You can catch Pick It Up Ska in the 90s for free on Amazon Prime. And if you want to catch the last blockbuster, it's currently available on Fandango, Prime Video, Google Play, Apple TV, uh, Microsoft, and Vudu. Uh, they also have a few social pages, so go find them. We'll put links in our in our on our um, in our show notes and on our social media pages as well. Uh, until next time, I am Allie.
0: and I'm Andy. And next week's my birthday. And if you want, send me some new tech decks
3: <laughs> if that's what you want.
0: How are they going to send it? Should you give out your address? Well, if somebody messages says, "Hey, I want to send you a tech deck." Then I will. Otherwise, I do not want then they might-, <laughs> <bunch
1: of creeps. laughs> they might send you anthrax though.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a risk I'm willing to take. Ooh. Well, happy birthday. And I'm Jeff.
1: Podcast. And I'm Maria. Aww.
3: We'll catch you next time, Nostalgia Nerds. Notable Nostalgia is a production of Big Door Prize Creations. You can find us on Twitter at Notable90s. That's Notable90s. Instagram at Notable.Nostalgia. And on Facebook at notable nostalgia. Our theme music was created by Isadora Noche Martins. She can be found on Fiverr.com. And our logo was created by Aaron Ugghawk at UglyHawk.com.
0: You can reach us via email at notable nostalgia at BigDoorPrizeCreations.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and why not leave a five-star review. Thanks for listening. This has been Notable Nostalgia. And I'm Andy. And next week's my birthday. And if you want, send me some new tech decks.
3: <laughs> if that's what you
1: want. Are they going to send it? Should you give out your address? Well, if somebody messages says, "Hey, I want to send you a tech deck." Then I will. Otherwise, I don't want then to they might. A bunch <laughs> of creeps. They might send you anthrax, though.
0: Yeah, that's that's a risk I'm willing to take
1: <laughs> for, a <detective. laughs> for a new three
0: ninety nine tech deck. Is anthrax yeah. still a thing, or is
1: that like early two thousands?
0: What if the band comes and Scott Ian's like knocking on my door because someone wanted me to come to your house? That's the best. telegram.
1: telegram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah cool are you Anthrax just going to band, thing? jeff <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i am
3: insert it okay
1: the gigapet that i got jackson or tamagotchi it's so annoying i didn't realize how annoying that thing is and it it, it died like a slow painful death that night because it kept beeping and beeping and beeping <laughs> and then i woke up and it was like covered in shit and then it was like 'Cause like you have to clean up its poop, I guess. <laughs> and then it had oh little angels. Yeah, it died a horrific death. That sounds awful. Yeah, just you crying. always have
2: to clean up their poop, like I forgot immediately. About that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And I could hear I was laying in bed with my sheets, you know, and then I could hear it like dying in the
4: living room. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go no, anyway, podcast. Crazy.